another episode of Extra Innings, the Phillies podcast by the Philadelphia Inquirer. I'm Matt Breen here in Clearwater, Florida, and Scott Lauber is on the phone. For this episode, our studio was the manager's office at Spectrum Field as we sat down with Gabe Kapler, who became the first ever guest of the Extra Innings podcast. But before we get into our interview, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating, leave us a review, let us know how we're doing. And also, subscribe to our newsletter, Extra Innings, at philly.com slash newsletters. It's in your inbox through spring training three days a week. Once the season starts, five days a week, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. every morning. A newsletter with everything you need to know that day about the Phillies. And you, you can subscribe for free at philly.com slash newsletters. So, Gabe, thanks, thanks for coming on the podcast. We appreciate it. Um, you talked last night. We were in Tampa for a game, and you talked about Bryce Harper. And you said you had a not preconceived idea of him but you 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 were there were things that when you first met Bryce that maybe you didn't know about him or not surprised you but just you you your image of Bryce Harper seemed to be different than the image of Bryce Harper the actual man and and I kind of had the same experience you said you looked up YouTube videos after the Phillies signed him I I did the same thing and and it was kind of neat to watch those videos under a different perspective now that now that we've met Bryce Harper I never met Bryce Harper until two weeks ago, so I'm just curious what what was your idea of Bryce Harper before you know he he stepped foot in this clubhouse? Sure, Matt. Well, I'll start by telling you what I knew about Bryce and how my perspective has changed since I've gotten an opportunity to know him better. So, watching him from across the field, we knew that he was pretty emotional on, on the field, uh, pretty tenacious, and you know, obviously the talent is, we're going to set the talent aside for this this conversation. Very aggressive on the field, um, very willing to sacrifice his body, um, very expressive. Um, and, and in a lot of ways, very different from a lot of the superstars in our game. And as I've gotten to know him, uh, I've learned that he's especially thoughtful, um, very communicative, um, articulate, and and very cultured as well. So... There's some layers of depth to Bryce, and what we've gotten in the clubhouse so far has been universally positive from a leadership perspective, from his willingness to, to take on responsibility, uh, both on and off the field. He's been, he's been exactly what the doctor ordered. That doctor would have been John Middleton, I guess, right? And, and this leads me to John Middleton said just the other day that the buzz or the, the reaction from the fans and back home in Philly was he expected it to be big, but didn't expect it to be this big, and then also didn't expect it to be still this big. Almost is it ten days now? It's you know time flies down here, but it's been time has is it's been a, quite a while since they signed Bryce Harper. Yet the buzz is still just as big as it was when when you guys did sign him. So what has like your excitement level been, or what is the excitement level here been that you've been able to gauge with with him? signing with the Phillies? I think Bryce is the definition of of a superstar. He's certainly one of the better players in baseball, but independent of that, he just comes with a a lot of attention. And I'll tell you, the flash, I'm thinking back to my, the last game at Tiger Stadium in 1999, the last game ever at Tiger Stadium. And I remember um, Carlos Beltran being on the field and some of the other, the Royals players, and it wasn't about the players on the field, but the camera flashes were popping all over the place the entire game. And the media coverage was just insane. And it was all basically because 
Tiger Stadium wasn't going to be around anymore. There's a similar vibe um, around Bryce Harper in that cameras are everywhere. Uh, they're attracted to this this very shiny, um, you know, very powerful piece, and you can really see what it means to be a superstar because everybody is interested in every move that he makes for good reason. Everybody is interested in anything that he says for good reason. It, it's all because he's influential. He's a tastemaker. Um, and it's exciting to have a talent of that caliber around, but also to kind of witness an iconic figure firsthand at the, at the early stages of his career in Philadelphia make his impression. You're like the Forrest Gump of baseball. Yeah. Tiger Stadium's last game, Aaron Boone's walk-off, the Red Sox winning the World Series. I have a few of those. You know, it's pretty funny. Scott, what were you going to say? Sorry. Yeah, no, Matt, I was just going to say that, uh, you know, we were all together in Clearwater for the first, you know, 10 days or so that Bryce was was a Philly, and, and we heard about the buzz back home. I'm, I'm back home now for a couple of days, and I can vouch for it that it's real. It's legit. Like, I was driving, uh, I live in South Jersey, and I was driving over the bridge into the city the other day, and there was a huge billboard that says, we got him, with a photo of Bryce uh, in a Phillies uniform, and you know, you turn on the radio, and I'm not just talking about sports radio. You t- turn on the radio, and you can't really go more than a few minutes without hearing about Bryce Harper or, you know, uh, excitement over the Philly season opener. So it's legitimate, and uh, it's it's been a while, at least for me, that uh, I've seen a, an athlete kind of kind of capture Philly. It seems like the way the way this has. So. You know, what we heard down there in Clearwater about what was going on back home was legitimately true, um, and, and he's he is a rock star, and it's it's really, really interesting to see that. Um, I'm sure, Gabe, that that, you know, was a factor, um, you know, in, in all of this, uh, and, and it probably, like John Middleton said, probably has exceeded all of their expectations. I'm wondering, you know, when you guys went out to, to Las Vegas in, in January, um, you know, you've touched on a little bit of what your pre, um, you know, your 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 uh, impressions of Bryce were from across the field. Um, you know, w- were there, you know, were you sort of struck right away from from sitting with him in Las Vegas with with Bryce the person and uh, and sort of taken with um, Bryce and Kayla and kind of, um, you know, you guys were making your presentation to them, but I think they were also uh, making an impression on you guys. And were you sort of struck by that right away? I was. I, I was struck by um, the the genuineness of both of them. Um, I was I was interested in the fact that Bryce knew a lot about Philly's history and that Kayla was so um, invested in creating a family environment, both for Bryce at the ballpark, but but also maintaining you know the the strong family bonds that the Harpers have created for themselves. As you were talking through Scott, your impressions of how Philadelphia is responding to, to the signing of Bryce Harper and, and subsequently what's happened since, I, I realized that, yes, when we met with Bryce in Vegas, you, you, this, the star power was, was evident um, related to both him and his family. And now here in, Philadelphia, or here in Clearwater, we're, we're seeing that firsthand. I, I realize it's important for us as the coaching staff to do two things. Number one, acknowledge the star power. It's it's absolutely there. But number two, not to get up, n- not to get caught up in being observers of Bryce Harper 
Rather, he's still a developing player in his mid-20s. And to be really focused on giving him every tool possible to improve his skill set and to remember that he's a man in his mid-20s and he might need to lean on people. And despite this, this incredible level of confidence that he presents, there's, there's a young man in there that is going to need help, he's going to need guidance, and he's going to need molding. And you know, not to push that on him ever, but always to remember that we, we're here to support him and we're also here to raise the bar for him. Gabe, you said also in Tampa, it was a very good pregame media session that I'm obviously able to draw from for the podcast here a couple times now. But you said that expectations have been raised. And wh- how does it feel you know, to have raised expectations and how does that compare to where you were a year ago? I think that as competitors at the highest level, whether you're a player, whether you're a coach, uh, a front office executive, an owner, you always want the expectations to be especially high uh, because it's a driver of performance. It's a driver of focus. Your adrenaline levels run higher, and therefore your, your focus is even sharper. And some people respond to that bar being raised, those expectations being higher, however you want to classify it. And others, it, it just overwhelms them. Our group, I, I believe, is the type that's going to, to be inspired by, invigorated by those raised expectations in that higher bar. We have always wanted to be judged on what we do between the lines um, and, and very specifically on wins and losses. It's kind of how this game is set up, to be, to be judged on how many games you win. So I'm really excited about that. Um, really like the higher expectations in that regard. And to answer your first question about how it compares to this time last year, I think last year there was there was expectations, but I think they were more about development. I think they were more about, you know, how are we doing in the rebuild? Um, where are we in our process? And this year, I, I think it's, it's, it's pretty clear. What matters most is winning, and that's what we're going to be focused on. I'm interested, Gabe, in, in sort of the roadmap for you. Um, since since Bryce signed the other day, um, you know it it was a it was the press conference was on a Saturday, the team was in Port Charlotte, then we were in Fort Myers the following day. Um, I'm sure there was some communication with you and between you and Bryce during that time, but you know there were a few days there before you probably had a chance to truly sit down with him. Um, you know, did bringing in Jake Arietta midway through last year help to provide a roadmap for you and how to integrate a player? Um, a star player into the mix. Um, and we've talked so much early in camp about shoulder to shoulder and wanting to be there for the guy next to you. And does bringing in a, a superstar player, um, uh, you know, kind of, kind of force you to sort of go through that all again in terms of what the clubhouse dynamics is going to be like, the way you'd like it to be and, and that sort of thing. Uh, I'm curious about the roadmap for kind of integrating um, Bryce Harper midway through. I think it was helpful to have the the experience of having Jake come in in mid-March last year. Probably much more critically, every player is a little bit different. Everybody kind of integrates themselves into the clubhouse at a different pace. And that pace uh, is an important note to touch on. The one thing we have to remember is there is not a rush to integrate, let's say, Jake Arrieta 2018, Bryce Harper 2019 into the fabric of our clubhouse because there's so much time there are so many conversations and it is so fluid that sometimes just backing off a little bit and observing watching how bryce jake 
guys like that interact with their teammates, learning as much as we can informs each discussion and we're just better equipped to have those conversations. So the roadmap in, in a lot of ways in the early stages is kind of sit back, observe, learn as much as possible. Um, don't be reactive, but, but start to acquire the pieces of the puzzle so that you can best support and, and push these athletes. Gabe, there was, um, we talk about preconceived ideas of people and there was, um, obviously, you see Bryce from afar for talking for myself at this point, but as this, uh, you know, superstar and this guy who's lived and been on sports Illustrated's cover when he was 16. So he's obviously, he's like a silver spoon kid who maybe everything was handed to him in life. But then, then you find out that his dad was a union worker in Vegas. Um, you read the ESPN article the other day and there was a great anecdote about, the, the family needing money when he was just starting out in travel ball and the dad sold his prized gun possession to uh, the neighbor for 500 bucks or something. And, and it just, you, you, you know, you could, and I, I felt like this with you last year that when the Phillies hired you, it was like born in Hollywood, California. Um, you see the modeling, you know, this great looking guy from Hollywood. Who the heck did the Philly, you know, is, is this like, what did this guy ever work for? And then you find out that you were, this 33rd round pick or 57th. I, I, I was trying to give you – you should have been drafting the third. I would have drafted you in 33rd round. Thank you. You know, that's uh, ridiculous. What a bunch uh, of idiot GMs that passed up 20, 14 more rounds on you. But – um, and, you know, where do you – is that nice to know that this, this guy comes from this background of, you know, hard work. And, and, yeah, he is a superstar, but he wasn't always a superstar. And, and, and really, you know, he had to work extremely hard to get to where he is so I, I thought that it was really interesting as I had my first couple conversations with Bryce to learn about his neighborhood growing up there was a ton of diversity both um, ethnic diversity and socioeconomic diversity his high school teams had a wide range of of backgrounds and, and I think some of that has shaped Bryce. It, one of the reasons he fits in so well to a clubhouse. And I had a similar experience. So just kind of using your, um, your two points. So when I came into a clubhouse, one of the things that made it easier for me was I grew up in Southern California. I went to a LAUSD huge public high school. And there were people from all different backgrounds all over the world. And so when I came into a, a clubhouse... And there we had the same thing. It wasn't a surprise to me by any stretch. I think Bryce can say the same thing. Um, I think he's very good at picking up on cues. And I think that comes from a, a, an upbringing where he was exposed to a whole lot. One of the things that I noticed is how he gravitated and was interested in O'Double very early in our, in our, uh, our conversation in the clubhouse. And the first time Bryce and I talked at length one-on-one -on -one without anybody else was, was in the clubhouse, in, a, in an empty clubhouse um, several days after he arrived in Clearwater and he shared and opened up and was, um, really interesting in, in how he, he grew up and told stories about his father and, and his high school and his neighborhood and learned so much and, and became evident why he's good in a major league clubhouse because of those experiences as a kid. Do you think he ever worked at a pizza shop? At a pizza shop? I'm not sure. I know someone who has. The pizza shop that I worked at and when I delivered pizza, it was it was also Italian food. So when somebody asks, when, or someone who brings up like 
pizza store, pizza shop, I think to myself, oh, yeah, but there were those great garlic rolls and, you know, I was delivering pasta and, and all sorts of other things. And, yeah, lots of stories about my first job as a delivery boy. Trying to make it sound a little more classy now, I see. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> you have a – um. With with obviously so now you have a set right fielder, you have a set left fielder, set first baseman, set catcher, set second baseman, set shortstop, almost around the diamond, a lot of set spots. How does that change your job of being a manager and a lot last year was a lot of mixing and matching, a lot of switching guys in and out to play the matchups. Now, you know, you have seventy or nine guys really that you know, unless somebody's injured, are gonna be in your lineup that day. I think that's a good point, Matt. Um, last year's challenges were trying to squeeze every last drop of strategic advantage out of the roster that we had. So that entailed a lot of mixing, matching, a lot of tinkering, a lot of early pinch hitting and things of that nature. As you point out, we have guys who can kind of get plugged into the lineup and sometimes in a very specific spot in the lineup and just left alone. That doesn't mean that we're not going to be challenging them, uh, asking more of them. And it certainly doesn't mean that we won't read and react. If we, we learn that we have a better option, we'll, we'll go to a better option. But at the outset, it's going to be nice to have some continuity. Um, as a manager, I think I'll be making fewer lineup decisions every single day. And I'll be making probably fewer in-game decisions. Doesn't mean that the job gets any easier because – the decisions that we do make will take so much work, effort, and preparation um, to come to a good decision on. And at the same time, I think for fans and for um, for people internally as well, it's going to be comforting to know that they can look up and see, oh, Bryce is in right again every day, and JT's behind the plate again every day, Reese Hoskins, Gene Segura, McCutcheon, the list goes on and on, and that the mixing and matching just comes in in a, in a few key spots. It was interesting to me, Gabe, to hear Bryce talk a little bit about his impression of you from across the field last year. And one of the things that I think he said um, was, you know, I looked at, at, you know, all the different mixing and matching that they did do, and you thought, well, what's this all about? You know, is this kind of going to kind of be a uh, – is this just sort of a managerial style or, or is this managing to the personnel? And we know from, from talking to you a lot last year that it was managing to – to the team you had, like you said, trying to squeeze every last drop out of that roster. Um, you spent the winter in, in Philadelphia, and I know you talk to people, and I know that you see fans wherever you go, and you're interested in feedback, and you're interested in their impressions. And was that anything that, that you heard a lot of? Um, like, what's with all the lineup juggling? What's with what's with all of all of the mixing and matching? Uh, it was kind of not uh, – it was it was far less conventional, obviously, than I think uh, most most Philadelphia fans are are used to. Was that something that you heard a fair amount of um, in terms of like what is with the, the the different lineup every night, and how much you know did you want to engage in sort of explaining that this was what you felt like you had to do in order to to get the most out of that team? Well, I'll, I'll say this, Scott. There's I got two different kinds of feedback feedback at the ballpark and around the ballpark which was I just kind of heard fans being upset about so many pitching changes by way of example um and and that volume was turned up I could I could hear it loud and clear but when I was out in the streets and walking 
uh, in Philadelphia, the conversations were much more productive. And sure, the concept of, of pinch hitting early in games, the concept of removing a starting pitcher before it looked like they were done, um, the concept of tinkering with lineups as much as I did, did come up, but it was, it was a more genuine, open conversation with a series of questions where oftentimes I would share my thoughts on, on why I might pinch hit for a pitcher earlier in the game. And in return, I'd say, what do you think? And then I was able to get the fans' feedback. Um, and, and that was really valuable as well because I really want to understand the, the vibe and the tenor of, of the city. And I think the only way to do that is to, is to ask questions, to read, to learn, and, and to, to dig a little bit deeper to understand how everybody's feeling. So you, you won a World Series in 2004 with the Red Sox. Then you went to Japan in 20, 2005 to start the season. So it has to pain you that you are not in the best video game, best sports video game of all time, MVP Baseball 2005. So I originally was – because I looked up – I wanted to look up your stats from that game to see how was Gabe Kaplan MVP 2005. Because I remember you from 2004, but you weren't in 05, so it's, which is a much better game. But – what I have here is the Phillies lineup, the Phillies roster from that game, from MVP Baseball 2005. Okay. So and I, I, I spotted you, left, right, or switch. Now you have to set a lineup. How would you, if we're playing right now, and you're the Phillies, you got to make a lineup out of these guys. Oh, that's fun. All right, so just for, for, for yeah, just so every, everybody knows, uh, Matt just handed me his phone. And on the phone, he has essentially the position players from the 2005 Phillies. So we've got Tome Abreu, Rollins, Polanco, Burl, Bell, Lieberthal, Utley, Lofton, Michaels, Howard, Pratt, and Perez to choose from. So... Just a heads up, Utley and Howard stink in the game. Okay. So you want to keep them on the bench. No disrespect to them. They were just young. Okay. I'm not... I'm not doing that. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna try to figure out what was good in the game. I'm. I'm gonna give you the lineup from from this crew, and I will, for the fun of it, I'm gonna go a, a little bit off the board. I'm gonna have Bobby Abreu. I'm gonna have Bobby Abreu leading off. Um, I'm gonna have Utley batting second, J Row batting third, Tommy fourth. Um. Burl fifth. Let's see. Oh man, this is gonna take me some time to to dig through. Oh, I got. I'm missing Howard. I'm missing Howard. Um, You're playing Tony. So you have Howard come off the bench. Like, no, no. I'd I'd have to I'd have to I'd have to redo this lineup already. Ryan Howard at third base. He's a young Ryan Howard. Ed Wade had this problem, how to try to get them both in the lineup, and ultimately he didn't. So, I, I I have some ideas. Okay, so here's what I here's what I'd like to do. You know, we talked about some of the the podcasts that that we've watched. This this is conversations that we've had offline. Talked about some podcasts that we've paid attention to. Um, one of them that I listen to regularly is a Tim Ferriss podcast, and one of the things he does is he says, "Okay, we'll put that in the show notes." So I'm going to put together a lineup based on this crew 
Um, and by the time this podcast airs, we will have a, a lineup laid out in the show notes. Fair? As promised, we have Gabe Kapler's lineup from the 2005 Phillies. Check back in with him. He gave it some thought, probably even too much thought than it really required. It was a video game lineup. But with Gabe Kapler, everything is serious. He doesn't. He, he likes to think a lot about things. And, and this is what he gave us. He's got Jimmy Rollins batting leadoff at shortstop, Bobby Abreu, in right field, batting second. Chase Ulley at second base, batting third. Ryan Howard is a DH. And Gabe made a, a rule here that this is an American League game the Phillies are playing in 2005. Jim Tomey at first base, batting fifth. Pat Burrell in left field, batting sixth. Kenny Lofton batting eighth. I mean, batting seventh and playing center field. Mike Lieberthal batting eighth and catching. And David Bell rounding it out at the nine hole playing third base. So there it is. If Gabe Kapler is playing MVP Baseball 2005, which, like I said, is the best sports video game ever made, that's who he's using. It's American League Park. I'm going to bring him to Tampa Bay as the Rays, DeWan Brazelton, Aubrey Huff, Gabe Kapler's in trouble. Until next time, I'm Matt Breen for Scott Walber and Bob Brookover, who's going to be back with us. This is Extra Innings. Thanks for listening.